You can walk and chew gum at the same time. You can be a good person and be a driven CEO. You can be successful and not be a jerk to yourself and to the people around you. It's hard, but it's worth it. What is up, you sexy bastards? It is your boy, Pinot Noir, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. That's me. Hi. Today, we are joined by one of my favorite coaches of all time, Jerry Colonna. He has a company called Reboot.io. They also have a podcast called Reboot.io. And over at AppSumo, we hire them, spend thousands of dollars a month, and it is some of the best coaching I have ever got, as well as most of the leaders at AppSumo have said really great things about them. Now, their coaching is not traditional. It's not, here's, let's go over your marketing strategy, or let's go and see who we can fire in this one department. It is literally almost never that. It's actually, Noah, how did your dad treat you when you misbehaved? I'm like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? We work with Dan Putt. Shout out Dan Putt. And they actually try to cut through the BS and really understand how who you are as a person is really affecting your leadership and how you show up at work. And it's surprising how effective it actually is. And it's some of the best coaching I've ever gotten. And I was super lucky that Jerry's going to come and take time to talk to us about how to be great leaders, how to be great coaches, how to be great humans. He's got a new book out, Reunion, about bringing people together. His original book, Reboot, is fire. I think it's a great book about how to be a better leader, how to be a great CEO, how to be a great person in life. Uh, check both those books out as well as their Reboot podcast, which I do recommend. Now, in this conversation, we talk about three gigantic things, but before I tell you about these three gigantic things we talk about, I want you to come join my book launch team. We're closing the doors in the next few weeks, December 31st. So if you want to see behind the scenes of Million Dollar Week and how we're doing our marketing, which is pretty, pretty good, if you want to meet other really interesting people and have accountability groups and getting your own business going, whether you're alone or whether you're just getting started or whether you're curious, if you want to chat with me, if you want to just have fun and meet other really interesting people, send me an email, book at okdork.com. I'm seeing a lot of emails come in through these podcasts. So again, shoot me an email, book at okdork.com. We're going to close the doors to this uh, in the next few weeks. And it's just been fun. It's been, I'm really proud of this book me and Tal Ross put together. I think it's going to make a little dent in the universe and I'd love for you to be a part of it. Book at okdork.com. Now with Jerry, we had three gigantic things we talked about. One, how to make better humans. Boof. And I talk about some stuff right there and there's real interesting things. Two, how to cut through our own BS. How do we really understand how to get out of our own way? What's the things we're avoiding? What are the best things we need to be doing and how to actually get to that and do it in a nice way? Jerry's got some stuff in there. Jerry's like this this wise uncle that you just want to have him over for dinner once a week on Shabbat or whatever it is you want to do in your own in your own house. And just be like, dude, I like you, uncle. He's like, I got wisdom for you today, son. I'm like, cool. And then lastly, what are questions to be better leaders? And there's some really powerful questions, my favorite of all time that Jerry's going to be teaching us in this episode. You're going to hear those three things and a lot more gigantic nuggets along the way. I sent this episode to our editor, Jason, and he was like, straight fire. And if you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more advice from top coaches, one of my best friends of all time, Adam Gilbert, in our episode 319, another great thing about how to be a really successful coach. Love Adam, and I love this episode. As well, if you're not on my mailing list, go to noahkagan.com slash lost. I got a juicy newsletter for you. That's noahkagan slash noahkagan.com slash lost. Go there and just submit your email. I'm going to email you every week, and you'll be like, damn, these are really good emails because we Sylvie and our team and myself put together some really solid emails that will inspire and help you on your business journey. Also, a special pre-show shout-out to listener Music Editor 4. They said, top three podcasts I listen to. Every time I listen to Noah's show, I say to myself, I need to leave a nice comment. But shiny things always distract me, and I forget, until today. Dude, wow. They said, this podcast and Noah's tips will forever be in my poorly designed Apple podcast app queue. Thank you for all the insight, and your nickname choices are worth a five-star rating alone. Yeehaw. 
Thank you, Music Editor 4, and every other one of you gorgeous people. I freaking love you. And I'm going to swear, I fucking love you guys and girls and binaries and everyone else out there, the robots too. And if you want to shout in a future episode, send me a message about it. Post it to anywhere online. Post it on Apple Reviews. Post it on Spotify. If you guys do it, you literally just click review and be like, yo, pretty, pretty good. And I'll call you out. Shout your URL. I'll shout out your URL, whatever. If not, I just love that you listen to this. You take action. Have fun with it. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. How's Jerry? I'm good. It's been a hectic period. The book hit a national bestseller list last week. So I'm feeling kind of like my head is spinning a little bit, but in a good way. Tell me about your head spinning. What's going on with that? And for people that don't know you, and, and I'll give I'll do an intro in the, the beginning. We hire reboot.io, your company, for our executive coaching at AppSumo. And I've read Reboot and I've read most of the new one. And the first book is fire. And uh, I love a lot of your advice. I think it's, it's helpful for all entrepreneurs out there. Uh, you're the executive coach of a lot of people. And I, I personally work with Dan on your team, who I love. Just to give context for people out there, like one of the, my favorite executive coaches, so I'm happy to, to share you in your new book. What's going on with your head spinning? What's happening in Jerry's head? Well, you know, Reunion, the new book, has a basic proposition. If you remember from Reboot, the core thesis was better humans make better leaders. What I do in Reunion is I expand that notion of what does it mean to be a better human beyond self-optimization into actually addressing the way the world is so divided. And I try to lay out a path for business leaders to be able to respond to the fact that half their employees are angry about one thing and the other half are angry about another thing. How do you navigate that space? When I wrote the book, it was the summer of 2020, or that's when I started. And as I tell in the introduction, it began with my now 31-year-old daughter joining the thousands and thousands of people taking to the street to protest the murder of George Floyd. And I was safe, dumb, and happy sitting on my farm outside of Boulder, Colorado, feeling okay, feeling safe. And my daughter sitting here saying, Dad, it's not enough to be an ally. You actually have to be a co-conspirator. So three years later, a book comes out that looks at the question of what are the consequences of living a world in a world that is so divided. So it's a kind of odd time. You know, it's bittersweet. It feels incredibly important and painful. So that's the head spinning. It's like, oh shit, this is real stuff. This is like the real deal. Yeah, it's good timing to think about coming together. You know, I go to Dan, one of the, your co-founder at Reboot, and I recommend as well for people listening to check out your guys' podcast, the Reboot podcast. And I go to Dan and I complain about someone on the team and I complain about feeling overwhelmed. And Dan, he always just kind of checks into how I'm doing. How are you feeling? I'm like, I don't care about how I'm feeling. Let's talk business strategy. No, 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 I don't want any of this like mumbo jumbo feeling crap, but it almost always comes back to what's going on with me inside and what happened maybe when I was a child or what behavior am I replicating almost never to do with the actual business. And I, I find that fascinating about your guys' approach and, and how you interact with humans and, and make better humans. Well, you know, look, you know that before being a coach, I was a VC. So if we were to do a call, 
you might say, Jerry, I'm having trouble with this fundraise and I'll jump in and give you a prescription for solving the problem. But the challenge with that is I actually end up leaving you dependent upon me for answers in the future. The best coaching leaves the client no longer dependent upon the coach. You want to joke, it's kind of shitty business model, right? Um, it's the opposite of creating a lifetime value, right? What we're really trying to do is make sure that you can handle that in the future. And what stops the average client from being able to answer those practical questions themselves is not a lack of information. It's all of the spinning, to use your word, to use my word, that gets in the way. So we get convinced, for example, that we don't know what we're doing. As I like to say, just because you feel like shit doesn't mean you are shit, right? Just because it feels overwhelming doesn't mean you don't know what you're doing. It feels overwhelming because it's overwhelming, not because you're a shitty leader. And so what blocks the average CEO from understanding that they know what they're doing are the stories, usually from their childhood, that get trapped in their head. That's why we focus in that area. Can you share a story of one of your more difficult coaching clients and, and some of those stories that they experienced that others can learn from? I'll tell you one. The worst 360 I ever read. So you know that we do these 360 performance reviews and we, we don't rely on click the button, move the slider switch. We actually interview people around the client. So this CEO who shall remain nameless. I get a phone call from one of his investors saying, please, please, can you help him? He's really in trouble. And I get on the phone and, and kind of like you, I don't want the mumbo jumbo. I don't want the poetry. I don't want to go deep. I'm like, okay, that's cool. Let's do your 360. So we do the 360. The guy is like one level below sociopath. Okay. And I'm like, dude, it's kind of up to you. You don't want to look at the issues here. That's fine. But I'll bet you a hundred bucks inside of six weeks, you're going to be fired. So what do you want to do? So we start to lean in and, you know, essentially he's a bully. He's an out of control bully. And then you start to unpack it. And where did he learn to be a bully? He learned to be a bully because, quite honestly, he masked the fact that he was gay as a kid. Because growing up in his household in Germany, it was totally unacceptable. He'd gotten the shit kicked out of. And so he just grew up bullying so that he wouldn't be a bully. And until he learned actually to accept those parts of him, he wasn't going to change. So in a very strange way, the 360, which was very pragmatic, very practical, all of the feedback, dude, you're a bully, you know, you're beating people up, you're not making good choices, massive turnover in the senior team. Until that was addressed, until the underlying issue was addressed, it changed surface level behavior, but the root problem would change. I mean, is that the kind of toxic screwed upness that you were looking for? Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's a sociopath mean to you? A sociopath is uh, incapable of empathy. And so, uh, did you ever watch the TV show Dexter? One episode. Dexter was the blood spatter forensic expert who happened to be a serial murderer. But he only murdered bad people. He didn't murder. He only murdered criminals. <laughs> so 
that's a sociopath. So what ended up happening with this person? He was able to stay in the position. We were able to stabilize the senior leadership team. They sold the business two years later. And now he's off and he's married and he's living a good life. He can still be an asshole at times, but he's okay. I think part of your guys' message sometimes too is just accepting who we are. Yeah. Improving things, of course, but it's also like, hey, if you feel insecure at times, that, that's okay. And I appreciate that about Dan not making me feel judged, understanding me with this person and his own feedback. And, you know, I love feedback at AppSumo personally as a, as a CEO. How can people improve receiving coaching? Maybe he didn't know he's a bully. I, I, someone told me I was a bully a few years ago and I was kind of surprised. God, I thought I wasn't a bully. And then I noticed in some meetings, I bully. Here's the thing, Noah, and, and this is a quote that could be helpful. James Baldwin said, not everything that is faced can be transformed, but nothing can be transformed until it's faced. And so if you take your own experience, I didn't realize I was being a bully. Well, listen, if you want to be a bully, be a bully. I really don't care. But if you say to me, I don't understand why the best people don't want to continue working for me. Or if you ask me, why do I have such high turnover in my senior leadership team? Or why do we get stuck at a certain revenue level and can't go past that? And you're unwilling to look at your own behavior, your own, you read reboot, your own complicity in the conditions you say you don't want in your life. If you're unwilling to look at those things, then nothing's going to change. And one way our unwillingness to look at things manifests is a kind of unconscious blindness to what's going on. I didn't know I was a bully. Oh, me? Everybody's telling me I'm a bully, but I don't see it. And so you're fascinated with the way Dan coaches you. You're fascinated. You know, the basic of every good coaching relationship, the ability to cut through the client's bullshit. Because we all bullshit each other. So it's about cutting through the mask. More often than not, the masks we started wearing at a playground, in a schoolyard, formative mask. Oh, man, I'm cool. I got it. You're a human being. Sometimes you're scared. Sometimes you're lost. Sometimes you're confused. And sometimes you got it all figured out. How do you like to bullshit? Oh, let me count the ways. (laughs) (laughs) There's usually one of two stands that I take. And I've been pretty good lately. And for backdrop, we have to understand, I've spent 33 years in psychoanalysis. I'm still in psychoanalysis. So I still struggle with bullshitting myself. But there's usually one of two ways. A, I am the worst possible person. Or B, I am the best possible person. Right? There's very little space in between those places, you know. Well, I'm exaggerating. I'm better at that. And again, if you read Reboot, you know the last chapter opens with me wondering again and again and again, turning over this question, am I a good father? And the woman who is my partner, who's now my wife, Allie, one of my other co-founders, says to me, enough already. I'm done with this questioning whether or not you're a good man. The story is getting old. You're a good man. You know what you're doing, and sometimes you make mistakes. Sometimes you live up to your aspirations, and sometimes you fail to live up to your aspirations. Welcome to being human. And again, occasionally, I need a good swift kick in the ass to remember that. 
And the biggest one for me, Noah, am I a good enough father? I have three kids. They're all adults, 33, 31, 26. And I still wonder, am I a good enough father? Why? God rest his soul, my father was not that great. But I don't have a role model to judge myself against. What I've done is turned older men who are mentors to me into role models. What does it mean to be a good father, a good man, a good elder? How would you know if you're good enough? That's a, a question a lot of us think, which is greatness. I think you, you hit upon a really important point. The most liberating thought I've ever come up with about myself is just as I am, I'm good enough. You know I'm a Buddhist. And in Buddhism, the source of all suffering is attachment. I am only good if fill in the blank. I have enough money. I have the adoration of the world at large. I have external validation, right? You become attached to these ideas. Oh, I'll be happy if I'm driving a Ferrari. And then the Ferrari gets scratched and you're fucking miserable. I am good enough. Look, I'm going to be 60 in two weeks. If I've learned anything, it's I am good enough just as I am. I don't give up trying to get better. See, one of the mistakes we make is we take that fear of not being good enough and we use it to motivate ourselves to get out of the mess that we may have been in. For me, it was a violent childhood. So I'm going to work around the clock. I'm going to outwork anybody. I'm going to outsmart anybody. The problem with that as motivation, aside from driving your staff crazy, the problem with that as motivation is that you can't rest. You can't enjoy success. You can't enjoy the Ferrari. And so the real secret, the cheat code that unlocks all the gold coins in Super Mario is to be able to be comfortable and happy just as you are and still strive to be better without fear. I will tell you, 90% of the time, I'm in that state. I mean, I just wrote a book. It's a national bestseller. Mazel tov. Yay. I got a note yesterday from a woman, Korean descent, brilliant woman. She wrote this beautiful review. She put it up on her Substack. That matters more to me than anything else. She feels better about herself because of the book. At the end of the day, that matters more than the toys that I've collected. Spin drift. You hit that spin, you, you get drifting. What I was commenting earlier is I, I feel more kind to myself, that I am good. And, and I guess that you could say that's good enough or whatever it is. It makes me feel not so guilty in everything I'm doing. How does it feel not to feel so guilty in everything you're doing? Oh my fucking God, it's relieving. Hey man, brother. You know, I, I have, you know, <laughs> self-doubt. Am I a good CEO? And are there, there's better CEOs and I'm not doing a good job. And You want a secret? There's always somebody who has more. There's always somebody who has more wealth, who has more good things. There's always going to be somebody who's at the top of their pile. That's not where happiness is. Or let me even give you a different word than happiness. Contentment. You want the real ultimate cheat code? I'm okay, just as I am. And it'd be nice to have a little bit more, but I'm okay if I don't. I was in therapy a few weeks ago, no, maybe a few months ago now, and I was talking to him about how angry I get losing at chess. And he's like, why does so much of your self-worth depend if you win this game? 
That's attachment. Oh, I was so attached to it. What was the answer? It made me feel like I'm not worthy as a person if I'm not beating people. Why is chess so important to you? It has to do with beating people. It makes me feel worthy. And he was like, is it really that important? Like, you're not worthy. If you lose, you're not worthy. Like, who says that? And that was a breakthrough for me. I want to feel worthy whether I'm winning or not. Amen, brother. I know. You know, and I think you, you said it, and I'll repeat it because I think it's so good, which is, that's external. I can't control all these other people all the time. But I, I know how I'm inside. And whether I'm worthy, it's like, yeah, it's something to keep for me working on. Like, okay, this video got a lot of views or working on a video. If it got a lot of views or not, like, am I proud of what I've done? And I can feel worthy regardless of, of that outcome, which I can't always control. That's liberation. It is. It's more peaceful, actually. Let's go back to playing chess. When I was a kid and I, I played chess, it sucked getting beat. But do you remember when you play somebody who's really good at all the things you learned? Remember stopping the game in the middle and going back and replaying and making different choices? For me, learning the puzzle of chess was almost more fun than winning. And isn't business just like a puzzle? Like learning to unlock it and leveling up at that point? It's fucking awesome. How do you encourage more people to, as you coach them and have coached, encourage your CEOs to find more inner peace? Well, I think the most important thing, and, and think about this conversation, the first thing you have to do is overcome the skepticism that tends to get wrapped up around, quote, finding inner peace. I'll find inner peace when I'm dead. <laughs> right. I'll find inner peace when our sales hit this When thing. I'm worth 100 million, I'll find inner peace. So the issue is to help people realize that finding inner peace, as you call it, or doing the radical self-inquiry, the work to develop oneself, is not in opposition to achieving those external goals. We live with a false dichotomy. I'm only going to make it if I'm externally focused, as opposed to understanding that if I take care of the inner side of me, and I'm less of a sociopath, as I said before, then the likelihood of me attracting and retaining the best people goes up, and their ability to create the best work goes up, and we solve the puzzle of the chess game of business again and again and again and again. And oh, by the way, I make money along the way. The problem, though, is that we, we live with this false dichotomy. Either I'm focused on achievement or I live in with inner peace, to use the phrase you used. It's nonsense. You can walk and chew gum at the same time. You can be a good person and be a driven CEO. You can be successful and not be a jerk to yourself and to the people around you. It's hard, but it's worth it. Yeah, I've noticed in the past six months of my leadership, but it's more, it sounds so obvious, but when I'm positive and optimistic with the team and they're like, dude, I'm happy, you're happy? I'm like, oh, is this what you, that's all you need? Like, yeah, man, be, cheer me on. And I, I think I was feeling, I don't think I was raised this way, but it was definitely more the criticism of leadership. Like, hey, this is what's wrong with this. this is what's, versus like, here's all these great things you've done. And look, here's some opportunity for us to improve it. And have you ever had a dog? When I was a kid. So if you get a puppy and the puppy is learning how to go outside to do its business, and you imagine one day that the puppy pees on the carpet, 
the impulse is to take a rolled up newspaper and wrap it on its nose. Don't you dare do this again. What does the puppy look like? The fuck are you doing that to me for? They can't make the association between peeing on the carpet and getting hit. That's in your head. But if you train the dog and you take it out on a regular basis and you give it a little treat when it does its business outside at the fire hydrant, that's like, screw this. I'm going to wait till I go outside so I can get a bite to eat. Human beings are just the same way. The problem is that so many of us grew up with negative reinforcement. Don't you ever do that again. Great, I'll never try again. You failed? Don't you ever do that again. Great, I won't try. That's how I can ensure that I won't fail. I won't reach. What have you learned about how to be an effective coach that others can learn? Resist the client's impulse to give them the answers. A couple of months after Reboot came out, I was on stage at Signal with Jeff Lawson who was my client for many, many years. Jeff was the, one of the co-founders and CEO of Twilio. And um, I had coached him. I think we began working together when we had 30 employees. So before they were public, before 6,000 employees, before all this stuff, Jeff has got my book in front of him. And he's finally got me into positions he's wanted me in. He's going to ask me questions. And so we start talking and he goes, you know, until I read this book, I could never understand why you would drive me crazy all the time. I would ask you how to do something and you would smile enigmatically and you would just not tell me the answer. And I said, all right, so why didn't I tell you the answer, Jeff? And he said, I get it. Because if you had told me the answer, I never would have figured it out myself. Our job as a coach is to get you to the point where you don't need us so that you then can turn around and to reach for the thing that you're looking for without having to turn to an external source. Now, something magic happens. Now, when a CEO gets to that place, they start doing the same thing with their team. See, if you do your job right as a CEO, you've given them the vision, you've hired and retained great people, you get out of their way, and you give them the resources they need to do the best work of their lives, what happens is you've set them up to be able to make better decisions than you would make that are more in line with business. That's scale. That's also coaching. Do you have favorite questions you like to ask when you're coaching? You know, my famous one, the one I should have trademarked so that I got money every time, is how have I been complicit, complicit, not responsible, in creating the conditions I say I don't want? How have I been complicit like accomplice, like the guy who drives the getaway car in the bank shop, not the guy who sticks up the bank tower. In creating the conditions I say I don't want, not the conditions, but like the kind of bullshitting that we want. Oh, I really don't want to be so busy all the time. Uh-huh, bullshit. Because <laughs> every time you get some white space in your calendar, what do you do? Fill it in, something else. So let me do a new project. I'm going to have a million dollar giveaway. Da, 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 da. I'm going to do a new video. Who am I talking about now? Are you talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love, I, I love that question. It's interesting. There's a, a guy I was talking to on Facebook yesterday, and it was fascinating because he said, I'm still stuck like I've been for the past few years. I asked a variation of your question, which is like, how come you like being stuck? 
what is it about it that's serving you? Because there's clearly something where he's empowering him in some negative, maybe it's positive, in some way for himself. And so I, I like how that question at least asks, how do we also shift the power, I would say, but maybe it's not power, to changing the situation? Yeah, agency. I think the second expression of your question was a good coaching question, which goes to this notion of benefit. You know, one of the things I learned in psychoanalysis is behaviors persist because they serve some use. So we say, I want to give up eating ice cream, but I still eat ice cream. Eating sugar after a meal makes you feel good. So you're going to continue to crave that until you can find some other way to feel good. Oh, wait, losing weight makes me hotter and therefore I'm more attractive to those I'm attracted to. That feels good. Now I have the motivation. You see what I'm doing? Instead of making the benefit bad, we're asking the question is how can that benefit can be achieved and change the behavior so you're no longer complicit in sticking up the bank. Oh, you want to make a lot of money? How about you start a successful business instead of robbing a bank? Still achieving the same end, changing the behavior. One of the other, I would say, famous reboot questions I'll share that, that we use at AppSumo is what is unsaid that needs to be said? That's definitely a, a reboot 101. That's in the sequel. That question, which is, what am I not saying that needs to be said? And you're right, what's not being said or what's unsaid? I was in psychoanalysis. I was actually just starting in my career as a venture capitalist, early in my career, and I had just formed a partnership with Fred Wilson. And um, I went to the beach and I got a migraine. I was so bad, I was in the hospital for a week. And, and they did a spinal tap and they did all this other stuff. And finally, the neurologist said, Dan, if I know, I don't know what happened to you. So I go to therapy. My therapist says to me, what are you not saying? I said, what? She said, well, you need to say something. What are you not saying that you need to say? And I started saying a few things that had been inside my heart. And I started practicing that every time I got a migraine. Because here's the truth. This goes back to childhood. In order to stay safe as a kid, I kept my mouth shut, bit my tongue. I didn't say certain things. And the difference is, I still felt it. I didn't say anything, but I was still saying it inside. Now, as one of those unlocking questions, when you ask somebody who holds power or somebody who is closely proximate to power, what's not being said that needs to be said? It's things like the product doesn't work, the market is too small, we're wrong. And it's those kinds of questions that unlock the scalability of a company. No, just tell me the marketing hack. Just tell me the <laughs> Facebook ad thing I need to do. <laughs> no, that's your, that's your realm of expertise, not mine. I play in that world, but you're right. It's, it's interesting because when most people, and I'll give one other question that I love that I, I just recalled is, is actually from you. But it's those questions and bringing them to the surface. Every one of our leadership meetings, we have a section called what's unsaid that needs to be said. And sometimes there's nothing. And sometimes it's like salary. Sometimes it's things I've done wrong. Or a recent one was, hey, you're working on this book. I have a million dollar weekend coming out in January. If you're like, you're working on the book a lot. Like, are you going to be CEO here or not? I was like, ooh, that's a good one. I want to encourage them to feel comfortable saying that. 
And then after they say it, being able to have a, a conversation. You know, one of one of the things we do at Absolutely I'm proud of is we do a lot of reviews and surveys within our team. So every week I do my own survey and I want to shout this out. One of my questions, and I think you'll appreciate it, was, was my behavior consistent? Oh, I like that. And I rate myself every week. And this week was great, but two weeks ago, I was a fucking train wreck. And that's like, as a leader, that's really tough. If you're a leader, you don't know what you're going to get. And so each week, it doesn't mean I can't be emotional, but how am I handling my emotions in a productive, optimistic, not always optimistic, but positive, productive way? The other thing with, the, with our leadership team, we do a monthly, monthly survey or bi-monthly. And one of the questions we ask is, do I feel safe to speak my opinion? I will tell you, about a year and a half ago before I started asking that, when I started asking it, people were like, no. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I thought I wasn't fully. Yeah. Actually letting people speak, not just saying, hey, we're doing this. Improving in things, you have to be able to somewhat measure it or get somewhat feedback so that you can improve it. And I definitely think I'm more, yeah, more grounded as a leader. And I like it. I feel like I can lead better that way. The other question that you taught me, and it's kind of a sly one. You're a sly dog, you. You'll know which one I'm talking about. It's, uh, how you doing? They're like, good. And I'm like, how you really? It's the word really. And so this is the Jerry. It's the really uh, word. It really works too. Because you ask someone how they're doing, they say fine. And you're like, how you really doing? You say it the second time and you add really. It works, man. And if you really want extra credit, look them in the eye. I often joke, if you do a Google search of me, at some point you'll come up with a link that to the Wired article that says, this man makes founders cry. The way I make people feel, not cry, but feel, is I actually ask that question as if I give a shit. Because you want to know the secret, I actually do give a shit. And you want to hack as a leader, get outside the bubble of your anxieties, get outside the bubble of you trying to prove yourself worthy of whatever it is that you're trying to prove. Look the people that you work with in the eye and give a shit about them. You know what's going to happen? Magic. I told you a few weeks ago I had like a blow up and I called one of the guys afterwards, after that meeting. And Dan, uh, our reboot coach and your co-founder, this is actually a, a counterintuitive thought. He's like, tension and arguments are great. And he's like, the fact you had a blow up is awesome. I'm so excited. Because that, that does the repair and, and you can get better. And it, it, he is totally right. And I think that mindset that mistakes aren't necessarily catastrophic. And I called this guy and I said, hey, I'm sorry for that behavior. I think I was probably, I was a little much. And I, I was like, I really like you. I'll just shout His name is Mitchell. I was like, I really like you. We've been buddies a long time and I, I want you to win here or somewhere else. And it, I, don't, I don't think you're set up to win and I'm not helping you win. What can I do differently? What can you do differently so that we can start moving you in the win, win columns more often? And he said at the end of the call, it's about an hour, he's like, this is the best call we've had all year. And there wasn't a lot of actual business strategy. He runs our, our membership, Absumo Plus, and there wasn't anything about that. It was just about how am I actually looking out for him? How am I actually helping Mitchell? And I like Mitchell. He's a great dude. I like how happy, you know, he's always positive. And so I want him to win. And it was just interesting just doing that because I truly want it for him, how much now it's leading in a, and it feels in a healthy direction. So that's a good reminder from you. How would you like to end the end this session, Jerry? It's really a pleasure. I'm really proud of my partner, my co-founder, Dan. I'm really happy to know that uh, he's been meaningful contributor to your happiness and to the company. And... Uh, and that's how I would end it. That is a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as we did making it for you. Go check out Jerry's brand new book, Reunion. I highly recommend as well as old book, Reboot. You can also check out their services at Reboot.io on Twitter and Instagram. They're Reboot HQ. Stuff is really good. They have a podcast, the Reboot Podcast. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog.
let's go see some live music together. I don't know what that accent is, but I love it. And before you go, you can slide in my DMs on Instagram and Twitter, at Noah Kagan. Let me know what you think about these episodes. If you have feedback or other guests you want to hear. Uh, I was really excited to have Jerry on because we've just, like, I don't know, we've used their service for a lot, and I think he's like a really good coach, and there's a lot to learn from him. Finally, a couple shout-outs to the amazing team members who make this happen. Jason at podcasttech.com for making these podcasts sound so good and stepping up and just being a, an awesome person. Thank you to Jeremy, Cam, Tommy, Sylvie, Jay, one of our, our new people, uh, and Dylan on the door team for all the magic y'all are doing. Have a tremendous day. What's your favorite red wine? <laughs> <laughs>